0: And you forgive them, which means it doesn't mean um, that word doesn't only mean forgive the, the grudge or the hard feelings. It means forgive the debt that they caused by hurting you. All right. But so if it says if they repent, forgive them, it could also say the opposite. If they didn't repent, don't forgive them, which is crazy. And it's right there in the Bible. Luke 17. You can read it for yourself. It doesn't mean that we have a right to hold a grudge against someone else when unforgiveness. It's a different word there. And it means to remove the debt or cancel the penalty. So what, I'm, what we meant last week and what we got into, and it opened up a lot, didn't it? I told you you had to give me some grace so I can take some, a few weeks to hit on this, is if I hurt someone and I create a mess in our relationship, if I offend Patrick and I go to him and I don't repent for offending him, then what it means by, he, he doesn't need to forgive me the, the debt or the mess that I created. In other words, It's now all my responsibility to fix the mess. He no longer carries the weight of the offense that I caused him. It no longer is a problem for Patrick. It's all my problem. I own it now because I didn't repent. By repenting, though, if I repent to Patrick and I say, man, I'm really sorry for offending you. I really didn't want to do that. And then I walk out my repentance in our relationship and, and we heal it. I took responsibility and he took responsibility to forgive me And I took my responsibility to make sure I don't hurt him again. We 50-50'd it, right? But if there's no uh, repentance, the person that offends the other person now has to feel the weight of the mess they created. Otherwise, there will never be repentance. We have to. We talked about this in personal relationships because if we're that way with one another... It's impossible for us to ever really repent to God if we don't feel the weight of how we hurt Him. And what we've done and what we've tried to do for whatever reason, it's a, it's a trick, is we've tried to remove the consequences of sinning in the church. And I use the example where if someone does something wrong to me, I say, Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. What I'm saying is uh, the mess that you created really doesn't matter and you can continue to treat me that way because it doesn't matter. Oh, don't worry about it. You can, you can treat me like crap if you want to. It doesn't matter. We do that to God. Oh, God, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. If God says, oh, just don't worry about it, he's saying it's okay. The standard is you can act that way. And God doesn't want us to act in ways that offend his heart. Did he forgive us? Did Jesus forgive us of our sins and bring forgiveness to all of us? A hundred percent yes. But that doesn't give us, a, and Paul says, does it give us a license to sin? Because we're free? Should we just sin because we have a license? Never let it be so, Paul said. No, no, never. Don't let, it, don't let that be so. No. We should manage our relationship in accordance to what Jesus paid for at the cross. So it's really important to, to have that foundation um, in how we deal with relationships here. If someone offends me and they don't repent, my responsibility as a Christian is to forgive them regardless. In my heart, God, I forgive them and I give them to you. I will hold no offense toward them. But at the same time, I will take no responsibility in this mess anymore. It's all on them. They need to feel the weight of it. Amen. And when we feel the weight of our messes, we clean it up. We've, we've been practicing. Practi- I'm a professional speaker. Can't you tell? We practice this with our kids. And they make a mess. It's like, oh, no, what do I do? I just tracked mud in the house. Well, if I say, oh, don't worry about it then what's going to happen every time they track mud in the house? They're going to be looking to me to clean up the mess they created. But if I say, man, what are you going to do about that? I'm not not taking any part in this mess. You did this. What are you going to do about it? Now they have to feel the weight of, man, I went outside. I ran through mud. I didn't wipe my feet off. And now it's going to take me five to ten minutes to clean this mess that I created. So as parents, we're like, hey, no problem for me, maybe a problem for you. You can deal with it. You can clean up your mess. It doesn't change when we become adults. We make messes, and we need to feel the weight when we make a mess so we can clean it up. Everyone good? So I want to give this intro, and we're going to carry this message into today because uh, some things here that we don't talk about a whole lot, right? We are justified because of what Jesus did at the cross. Remember the word justified means just as if I had never sinned. Jesus came and he managed his daily life from childhood. He managed every decision, every attitude, every thought he ever had from the time he was born. He managed it in relation to his father according to the purpose he was sent for. Which means he never sinned. He never broke Covenant with his father because his goal and his purpose was to protect the connection that they had. And I've said this many times. If you wanted to get Jesus frustrated, try to separate him and his father. People would come to him and say, Oh, this guy blasphemes. He's like, wait a second. I'm from my father. I'm in my father. My father's in me. And if you don't believe me, at least believe me because of the miracles I've been doing. He wasn't offended that they didn't believe he was the Messiah. He was offended because they didn't believe he was in his Father. His whole purpose, everything he thought about was how can I protect my relationship with my daddy? So, because Jesus lived that way, it made his sacrifice at the cross matter. If Jesus didn't manage his life up to the cross, it wouldn't have mattered. He could have died and all this stuff could have happened and it wouldn't have mattered because he wouldn't have been without fault. But he chose every day to manage his relationship with God, to protect their connection. And so it made his sacrifice worth something, right? So because of what Jesus did, we are now justified. Just as if he lived for us. In place of us. So that if we will model his behavior and manage our lives the way he managed his lives, we can be in the Father too, and the Father can be in us. We're sanctified, so we're justified because Jesus paid the penalty. But we're sanctified because we look at what Jesus did and we say, man, that really matters, Jesus. It really matters that you died on the cross. We remember your sacrifice. It matters to us. And because it matters to me, God, I'm going to live this way. I'm going to protect my connection. Because Jesus put His name on the line for me. Did you know that? Jesus put His name and His reputation on the line for all of mankind. So that in Him, we could carry the name of God on our hearts. You realize that? We literally, when we say we're a Christian, a believer... We literally walk around carrying the name of Christ upon us. He lent his name to us. I don't know about you, but I don't like it when people try to take use my name and say something. If I didn't say yes to it. Wait, wait a second, I didn't sign on for that. I didn't say that. I really, you can get me upset. Say that I said something that I didn't say. Well, wait a second. Right, men? Don't. You, you, if you're at work and someone says, oh, he said you could do it this way, and it's the wrong way. Wait a second, bro. That's not how I do business. Don't, you're not going to put my name on that. I'm not signing, signing that. I believe Jesus feels that way. He, it, it, it matters to him that we manage our relationship with the Father because we're carrying his name. So when we go through this process, when we stay in this process of sanctification, it's because we're constantly looking at the standard and comparing our life and making sure that we're managing our lives according to the standard of Jesus. Everyone good? And when we look at his standard, it confronts us. Like, we don't have to like, feel guilty and sh- shameful about it, but when we look at the way Jesus lived and we look at the way we live, there's some confrontation that's going to happen, and it's good for us. It is really good for us to look at Jesus and look at us and go, man, I'm forgiven, I'm justified, I'm in the blood, I'm covered, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, but I've got a long ways to go before I look like He does. So because of that, I'm going to manage myself a little bit differently. I'm going to protect my life. I'm going I'm to live according to the standard. Not because, not because He says, if you don't live according to the standard, you're not a son anymore. But because I am a son, I want to live up to the standard. There's just a different, different way of looking at it. I'm not doing this to earn freedom. I'm not doing this to earn His favor. I'm not doing this to earn His name on my life. I'm doing it because I hear His name. And it matters to me that He let me use His name. And I don't want to hurt His name. Amen? So as we look at His standard and we compare our lives and we are confronted by it, <clears throat> we get to choose to do what's right. And God loves it when we choose to do what's right because He is the rewarder. He loves to reward us when we do the right thing. He looks forward to it. He sets us up with opportunities to do the right thing so that He can reward us. Y'all believe it? Say He's the rewarder. Yes. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The reward is attached to my seeking. I can't just say, oh, I get all the rewards of Jesus and I not, not seek a life after Jesus. That's phony Christianity. The world is full of it right now. Of empty, hollow Christianity that we claim the name of Jesus. We say we have all of this stuff in our account, yet we have no relationship with Him. Because we won't manage our, we won't manage our, our appetites according to His standard. My seeking connects me to the reward. My pursuit of Him is what gives me more. He says He gives us His Spirit without measure. Jesus said in in Matthew 7, Ask and keep asking, knock and keep knocking, seek and keep seeking. For everyone who asks receives, him who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened unto them. I don't get all of this just because I said a prayer It's just the start. There's a lot to come after this. Can I just say the prayer and make it to heaven? Probably. Probably. I can believe, it's all that's required to be saved is to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and to confess it with my mouth. I believe that you're saved. That's what Romans tells us. We're saved when we believe and we confess. But there's more to it than that. There's just a lot more to it than that. I don't earn more, but in light of what he did for me, I live differently. It's just easier when you work for someone that you care about. Isn't it easier when you work for someone you care about? Have you ever worked for someone you don't care about? (laughs) It's just, you wake up and you're like, I don't want to go to work today. They ask you to do something a little bit extra and you don't want to. But man, when you work for someone that really loves you, that cares for you, that gives you a raise every year, that thinks about your family or remembers that your your mom was in the hospital and they remember and check on you, little things. It just makes it so much. They ask you to do something extra. You're volunteering. I'll do it. It's not required. They're not going to fire you for not doing it. But your love for them causes you to step out and say, I'll do this. It's the picture in Isaiah 6 when, when, when he saw the Lord. And he saw Him, how holy He was and how pure He was. And he fell in love with God in that moment. And you know what? When God says, who am I going to send? He enticed him. Who's going to go for me? Who's going to speak for me? He's like, send me. I'll volunteer. God didn't require it. God could have opened that whole thing out by, hey, you're going to go do what I tell you to do. And if you don't, this is what you're going to see and show Him all of His glory. But He didn't. He showed him who he was. He showed him his glory and his train that filled the temple. And the angels singing, holy, holy. He saw all of that. And because of that, he responded with, I'll go. I choose to do this. It's all about the choice. God loves it when we choose to do the right thing. You see, the availability of forgiveness is not what restores the standard. I'm going to say that two or three times, all right? The availability of forgiveness is not what restores the standard. One more time. The availability of forgiveness is not what restores the standard. Repentance restores the standard. Because repentance is a response what forgiveness provided for us and i live in response to jesus's sacrifice and my life lived in response to his sacrifice is a life of repentance that restores the standard of god in my life it's really important we remember this and get this this is such a foundational thing that we have to have as one of our staples in our belief systems the availability of forgiveness doesn't wash everything and make everything perfect. It's me accepting His forgiveness and living a life of repentance. See, Matthew 3.8, Jesus told, his, told the, the brood of vipers. <laughs> he said, hey, who warned you guys to flee from the wrath that's coming upon you? Who warned you that, I, that, that you know, you're about to be confronted? And then He told them what to do. He said, produce fruit. In keeping with repentance. In other words, if your lifestyle will prove the confession of your mouth, then you'll be okay. Amen? Here's some important things that I saw in John 4 and John 5. When Jesus confronts the woman at the well, because it was a confrontation. It was. I mean, (laughs) it was one of the most intense confrontations in the Bible. This woman is caught in the act of adultery. Her mail is red. And you're right. You're, you're living with someone and you have five husbands before this one. And this one's not even your husband. Red or male. And then he forgave her. He said, woman, where are your accusers? I have none, sir. He's like, you're right. And you know what? I don't condemn you either. So immediately he justified her. You're justified. Just as if you had never sinned. You are free, woman. You are free, complete, you're whole, it's over. Your, your debt, your penalty is paid for. And then what did he say to her? Now stop sinning. If forgiveness came through justification, then why did that matter? Because it does to God. The way we live matters to God. When we repent with our mouth and say, I'm sorry, or we feel convicted, the way we live after that really tells the story. Amen. And I, I, I know that any time God speaks or Jesus would speak, He's releasing to us the uh, ability to do what we couldn't do before. Amen. So when Jesus said to her, stop sinning, He prophesied into her life and, and built structures inside of her so that she could stop sinning. Yeah. The words... Hidden in her heart. What did David say? Oh Lord, have I hid, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I won't sin against you. Jesus, the word of God made flesh, speaks to this woman as to stop sinning. His word is life. It's spirit and it's life. So when he spoke that into her, he gave her the capability of living a lifestyle that produced fruit in keeping with her repentance. It's important. Now let's fast forward to chapter 5. You want to go there in John chapter 5. And we're going to read from verse 2. Alright, John 5 verse 2. It says, Now there in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. And it's surrounded by five colonnades or pillars. And here a great number of of disabled people used to lay the the blind and the lame and the paralyzed. And one who had been there for 38 years, he had been at the place of healing and couldn't get it. That's pursuit seeking, right? He had been there 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned of his condition and how long he had had that condition, Jesus asked him, "Do you actually even want to get well?" He confronted this man. Basically, "You're lazy, bro. You've been here 38 years. Why are you still here?" The question, "Do you even want to get well?" was a confrontation where the man and I love it. Chris Ballatin does a sermon on this. I don't remember what it's called, but it's one of the best I've ever heard on this topic. He was basically having to decide now, let's see here, I'm part of a, in that time period, if you were in the condition that these people were, society completely provided for you. Food, shelter, clothing, you didn't have to work. So for 38 years, this guy had everything brought to him, and he could stay a victim. So when Jesus said, do you even want to get well? The man had to decide in his heart, do I want to stay a victim or do I actually want to get better? So, sir, the man said, I have no one to help me get into the pool. Again, there it is. There's no one to help me. I'm sorry. I think that most, most people would find a way to get into that pool. Maybe. I don't know. Thank the Lord I'm not in that condition. No one's there to help me get in the pool when it's stirred. While I try to get in, someone else jumps in ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Then go ahead and get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once, the man was cured. How awesome. 38 years. Excuses. Someone beats him to it. Him watching scene after scene. If he was there every day for 38 years, how many days is that? I don't even want to try to do the math in my head. Like 12,000 days. 12,000 days. 12,000 opportunities, he saw someone else get it and not him. And all at once, this man says, get up and walk, and he's able to get up and instantly walk. He was cured, and he picked up his mat, and he began to walk around. Some places say he was walking, he was leaping, and he was praising God, right? It says the day on which this took place was the Sabbath day. Uh Uh-oh. He's working because he picked up his mat. He was worried, and this is, I never saw this till just now. 38 years, he didn't want to work. And immediately he's healed and he's accused of working. (laughs) Immediately. And Jesus is thrown in with him because he made the man work on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to pick up your mat. (sighs) That's pretty cool. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's a Sabbath day. The law forbids you to carry your mat. What is your problem, man? You cannot work. Dude, I've been waiting for 38 years to work. You better shut up, you know. (laughs) But he replied, the man. He didn't even know who Jesus was. Didn't know his name. He just says, the man who made me well told me to pick up my mat. So I did. How cool is that? So they ask him, well, who is this fellow? We need to bring that word back into our everyday society. Who is this fellow? That's pretty funny. Who told you to pick up your mat and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was. No idea. For Jesus had slipped away in the crowd. Later, Jesus went to the temple and found the man and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning. What does it say? If you're in your Bible, read it. Or something worse will come upon you. So the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus that made him well. Why is this an important story? Jesus healed the man. He made him whole. But that wasn't the, the point of this whole encounter it was the life after that that mattered to Jesus. So he told him, don't sin again. Because if you sin, you think 38 years of being paralyzed was bad? Something worse will come upon you. In Luke 11, Jesus says, If I cast out a demon, then by the finger of God which is the name for the, where the name of the movie came from, Luke eleven twenty. 20. If I cast out a demon by the finger of God, then the kingdom has come upon you. So the kingdom comes upon us in these encounters. The kingdom came upon this man who'd been paralyzed for 38 years. The kingdom came up on him, shifted his lifestyle. But what's important about the kingdom is not just the door to the kingdom. It's about life in the kingdom. Are you guys hearing me? You and I, we believe in the kingdom. We believe the kingdom of heaven is here now. It's at hand. We can take hold of it. We can go for this. The kingdom is here. Now I have to do something. I have to step into the reality of the kingdom and begin to walk this thing out. It's time for us to begin to manage our passions for the kingdom. Come on, we've got to stir this up. We've got to be stirred into seeking. The Lord has hidden for us treasures. He has hidden for us hidden treasures. He hid them from the wise so that us fools can find it. He hid them in parables.